If you want to get stuff done, then you have come to the right place. This is the Get Stuff Done podcast, brought to you in association with RDI Worldwide, a weekly interview series with prominent and diverse people from around the world who will share their own unique insights on what it takes to get stuff done and their personal strategies for doing so. My name is Gordon Dudley, the creator of the Get Stuff Done project and host of this podcast. Thank you so much for being with us. We hope you enjoy this episode and would love to hear your feedback anytime. Let's get stuff done. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Get Stuff Done podcast. I'm Gordon Dudley, your host, and I'm thrilled to be joined once again by another fantastic guest. Today, I'm joined by Charles Ferguson. He is currently the head of uh, Asia for Globalization Partners. If you haven't heard of them, they are a human resource service that helps businesses to hire anywhere within just a few business days. And he has actually had uh, a very extensive career through uh, a number of high-profile firms. In fact, if you read his early career, it it looks like he was skipping between the best tech uh, firms in the world, including Intel, SAP, Microsoft, uh, to name but a few. He's also founded his own firm and uh, went on to sell it. And uh, now he is based in Melbourne, Australia. I've had the pleasure of knowing him for a while now through his current role. And so I am really excited to be able to have a chat with him because from my first meeting with him, it was very clear that he has a really great perspective on people, people management and uh, relationships. And so I'm looking forward to this uh, chat with, with Charles. Thank you so much for being my guest. Gordon, thank you, and what a what a warm and lovely uh, welcome. I'm 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 humbled and flattered by the accolades, and I look forward to sharing some thoughts with you and, and learning uh, with you through the conversation. Uh, that sounds great. So, uh, as we always do on the Get Stuff Done podcast, we we like to to uh, delve into a little bit of the the background of the career of the guest, and we also then uh, tap into what their personal uh, take is on getting stuff done. So. First of all, tell tell me a little bit about uh, your current role and 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 what you're doing at Globalization Partners. Sure. So, uh, Gordon, the company um, has been you know in existence for over 12 years, uh, and in that time, operating in the Asia Pacific region for probably I reckon like nine or ten of those years. So very early on, uh, the business started to flourish in the region. But I give you that detail because of the fact that originally. Um, GP was a uh, very US centric business. So a lot of the sort of success that they enjoyed early on and, and even today is United States based businesses um, expanding abroad. And one of the key areas of, of landing obviously was Asia Pacific region. Um, I was brought on board to kind of flip that lens and look at the Asia Pacific region as an organic opportunity and look at how we could scale that business both intra regionally. So, you know, uh, Korea to Australia, as an example, but also uh, extra regionally. So looking at how Asia Pacific businesses could tap into the opportunity inherent in going further afield, further abroad, United States, Europe, et cetera. So um, my role as GM of the region is to facilitate kind of building that 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 team and that infrastructure mm-hmm. to accelerate the scale um, for, of course, for our, for our business, but for the clients that we serve. Mm-hmm. And the unique piece of it, um, in my view, is that Aside from all the great businesses that we're able to help, um, we're really, um, this, this will sound, 
you know, disingenuous when I say it, but I'm quite serious about it. We're opening up opportunities for talent all over the world as well. So, you know, to, to remove the constraints of borders, to allow great talent to be discovered and, you know, uh, put onto a platform to get them hired, regardless of where they are, is a, is a cool, it's a cool gig. I love it. Right. So that, that kind of global mobility facilitation comes both directly and indirectly by being able, by enabling companies to expand uh, globally. Yeah, I mean, um, I, you know, it's exactly for that reason that, that uh, uh, we have uh, had a chance to work together, um, That's right. which I think is, um, is great. But uh, originally coming from uh, the US, when did you first have a global aspect to your career? Where, or, or when was it that you first kind of went overseas for work? Uh, that's an interesting question. Um, if I look back on my kind of uh, trajectory, you know, I'm I'm a, a mountain farm boy from North Georgia, from the Appalachian Mountains. Okay. Um, for folks, you know, who are watching this or listening to this for the first time, might not be that familiar. It's a it's a very um, there's a trail that runs from North Georgia all the way up to the border of Canada uh, on the east coast of the United States called the Appalachian Trail. And there's a famous song about that it, trail, isn't there? I think. Yeah, it's. It, I mean, it's it's an incredible, it's gorgeous, yeah. it's an unbelievable yeah. place. The beginning of that trail um, is about seven miles from my mom's farm, right uh, in North Georgia. So um, by happenstance, by you know, uh, kind of the the vagaries of life, um, I started traveling with my father when I was very very young. Um, I did my uh, middle school and high school in Indonesia, um, and then went back to the United States for university. Um, once I graduated from my first two years of uni, I went immediately basically back into uh, the region where I'd kind of come of age here in Asia Pacific. Okay. And I, I got a job um, with Intel uh, Corporation that ultimately uh, had me from a work perspective really relocate um, to uh, to um, Singapore and then onto Shanghai with with that company, and it just okay. it just blossomed from there, you know, all over the region. And and do, did you feel that your early experiences of being overseas, um, you know, being exposed to new cultures, made you know that that you know influenced your choice significantly, or or, or or was it you know what was it that kind of drew you to return for work purposes yeah look you know it's it's a it's a conundrum i think that a lot of people particularly these days where a lot more individuals around the world are exposed right to multiple cultures or multiple points of view i'm not saying all are but certainly on average you know when i was coming up i'm i'm 50 years old so when i was you know a much younger man there were far fewer people um, who would have that sort of global perspective or right. be apprised of things happening outside of their own backyard. Today, right, certainly right. many more people are exposed to these types of things. Um, I think that for me personally, that um, sort of choice that I was exposed to as a kid to have mm -hmm. different points of view uh, really impacted me and influenced me to crave that a little bit more. It was something that was almost like an itch. You know, it was an insatiable sort of desire to constantly be wanting to hear another point of view or look at something right. through one more degree of variance just to make sure that I was getting the full picture. Um, and I think that, you know, the, the kids today, you know, I sound like one of these old men, they, those kids today, the kids today <laughs> have such power of um, ability to be uh, exposed by virtue of the internet 
Yeah. Um, when I was coming up as a really young kid, I remember my dad giving me a shortwave radio. And this was, you know, this Be device careful. for... You're, you're aging. Yeah. You're really aging yourself there, Charles. Yeah, I know, man. But, you know, we're, for all the kids who are listening out there, you know, this was, this was a, a... What is a shortwave radio? <laughs> That's exactly right. But it, but it was so fascinating because you could... You could be dialing through these radio stations across these frequencies and you'd pick up something like Chinese or yep. you yep. hear, you know, French and you'd be like, my God, that's amazing. And I think yep. that the ability for that, that uh, sort of foreign um, information to elicit curiosity yep. is something that really, really inspired me. And so, you know, today I try to continue to um, provide opportunities to fuel that curiosity, both for myself, but certainly for my, for my family now as well. Right. I think it's yeah. really, really important. It, it ultimately Gordon, um, sets the table for one of the most critical skills I think that anyone could have as a leader, which is the ability mm -hmm. to express empathy. Um, it's, you know, first thinking about the experience of someone else. Yeah. That's the first step towards developing that, that muscle of, uh, of empathy. Um, and for sure. that's fueled by curiosity, right? Curiosity about somebody else's life, curiosity about someone else's experience. Yeah, I think it's very powerful. Uh, for sure, I, I I think we you know we've grown up in very different places and had very different paths, but uh, mindset we're 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 so similar. You've touched on so many elements there. For me, also very similar. At a young age, my family moved to Germany, and I remember yeah. thinking from a really young age. Wow, they all speak German. I speak English, and there's other languages. If only we, if everyone could speak every language in the world, we could just communicate with everyone. Wouldn't that be great? Uh, you know, let, let's hope technology um, gets that. Uh, you know, in the in the near future, where we can be talking one language, and and any other language can come out uh, the other side. Um, that, that would be fantastic. Um, Incredibly powerful. And it, it's, it's, it's happening uh, in, in various ways as we speak, right? I mean, the ability to have these artificial intelligence um, enhanced translation mm. programs that right. whether it's a device or it's, a, it's your phone or Google Translate, et cetera, ad nauseum. The ability the, uh, to the, cross those bridges the, is really becoming pretty impressive. The, the, the Chinese uh, Elon Musk. I don't know if you've seen that guy online. Yeah, I've seen it. I've seen it. Yeah. Totally awesome. <laughs> yeah. So then you you said that you were um, w with Intel. At, at what mm -hmm. point in your career did you start managing people? And and I want to know if you were given any support, training, or or help to to step into that uh, first leadership role. Yeah, I I really started to manage um, other individuals beyond you know managing relationships with clients. Right, probably when I joined. Um, well, actually. When I left uh, Intel, mm -hmm. uh, I had not really managed teams. I had managed projects in which contractors were put into place. Uh -huh, um, sure. And in that regard, you know, just like I think about it today, you know, when you're managing a team, all you're really doing is you're managing yourself and your engagements with those individuals, right? It's, it's a relationship management exercise. Um, so I think that there are quite a number of sort of early um, in my career, um, trainings or um, mentors that help to guide my philosophy around how I engage with, with people. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. Certainly, you know, some of the, the old school tried and true ones were, you know, like Dale Carnegie-esque, you know, like how to win friends and influence people kind of a thing, which yep, I think yep. if you if you don't look at it 
at face value, but you actually unpack some of the philosophies behind those sorts of um, uh, methodologies or philosophies. There's some really wonderful ways that yeah. you can authentically engage with people. Fully agree. We, we did uh, that exact uh, book um, in our company, Lunch and Learn, just, uh, uh, you know, a, a while ago. And yes, some of the examples are obviously dated uh, to yeah, getting on for a hundred sure. years ago. But but as you say, still the, the takeaways the are very Exactly. The context sure. behind them is, is really impactful, yeah. very valuable. Definitely. I think one of the most important things that um, I was you know, sort of put across early in my career at Intel, this is in the early 90s, was time management. Um, and it was specifically related to a methodology that was utilized there called Franklin Covey, oh, yeah. um, which was, you know, Stephen Covey, which is like the seven highly effective habits of highly effective people. I think it was yeah, seven effective right. habits yep. of highly effective people. And that sort of methodology was really um, impactful for me. Um, I'm a very disorganized person and I'm very, I'm, I'm an extrovert and I'm very sort of like ideas oriented, which is mm -hmm. on mm -hmm. the one hand, great. And on the other hand, super frustrating for a lot of people, my wife included, um, because I'm not as adept at the detail orientation and planning aspects as I'd like to be. Um, so having a methodology by which I prioritize things during the course of the day and refer back to them and take notes, et cetera, mm -hmm. has been really important and helpful for me and thus allows me to um, effectively manage my expectations with the folks that, I, that I'm supposed to be responsible for. Um, I, I, I think that's, that's uh, an incredibly important piece of, you know, getting your own, what I would call BS together, which is short <laughs> for belief system. Okay. Yeah. Um, I think that's really, really helpful. Uh, or, so those, those are a couple of pieces. You know, Andy Grove, yeah. who was the the founder and CEO um, of of Intel when I when I first joined, um, who I was fortunate to meet a few times. Yeah, he had a uh, another sort of core competency for leadership uh, within Intel that was called um, constructive confrontation. Okay, and a lot of people see it um, when they visited Intel in the past, particularly when Andy was running the business. Yeah. Um, and would be really taken aback by it because it seemed really, well, it's, it's in, it's in the name, right? It's confrontation, right? Yeah. But the constructive point is yeah. the key because it's confrontation around solving a problem. It's not, it's not attacking someone individually or personally. Right. It's right. being almost beyond assertive around disseminating and dissecting the issues yeah. and finding solutions. And I think that's really, really important um, in terms of being an effective manager is to get everybody on the side of like attacking problems. I uh, fully agree. I, I hadn't heard of that one. I'm definitely going to look it up. Two, yeah, that was pretty very, amazing. two very similar uh, uh, philosophies come, come straight to mind, which is um, what they do at Netflix as well with, with, with their feedback um, in that they oh, also... That. Sorry? Tell me about that. What is, what is sort of the high level of that? So basically, they, um, you know, create uh, meetings where um, it's a free for all um, for feedback, no matter, you, uh, you know, whether you're their manager or not. Perfect. And, and so, you know, in, in certain uh, country cultures, that's that's pretty overwhelming. But totally. Um, but it has it has worked. Um, yeah. And another another kind of rapper on that is definitely comes to mind is Gary Vaynerchuk's uh, Radical Candor. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, he, he talks about that a lot. 
which I think is is also along a similar vein. You've tied uh, me up perfectly for the next question around, Mm -hmm. you know, getting your your BS together. But in this context, it's getting stuff done um, or another S word, um, which which we can replace uh, with stuff. But um, as as uh, maybe not everybody does know, but where where is the getting stuff done coming from is actually my initials, Gordon Stewart Dudley. GSD. Oh, cool! And, and so that's that, great. I love it. So it became a bit of a nickname, uh, you know. GSD get stuff done. Um, Gordon Stewart Dudley. So that that's a bit of the origin um, of that. Oh, that's very so cool. For you on a personal basis, um, you know, on a day by day, week by week, how do you make sure that you get stuff done? Um, and or, or perhaps also maybe just more reflectively over the course of your career. You, you've you have achieved uh, more than most, considerably more than most, and so so. What do you think is your special technique or 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 thing that you do your habit perhaps for getting stuff done? Um, you know, I've 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 thought about this a great deal. Uh, I'm I'm very um, I'm very grateful. I'm, I'm filled with a, a tremendous amount of gratitude for the opportunities that have been afforded um, in my life, and and I feel. You know, there's there's always a, a modicum or a um, a red thread of of let's call it luck, right? That's involved in a lot of the opportunities that one uh, comes across. I also will flip that script and say that you know the harder I work, the luckier I get, right? Um, the, yeah. the there's there's taking you know I guess someone's always knocking on a door somewhere, and it's your decision as to whether or not you decide to answer that door or you're not ready for that and you continue to focus on the path that you're on, right? And I, there's no right or wrong um, in how you respond to the knock at the door. It's all about where you feel you are and being self-aware in, in the time that you're that you're present. Um, I do think that everything happens for a reason. Um, and I think that you need to be prepared to learn the lesson from how you uh, sort of engage with that reason, you know, the why, you know, Simon Sinek calls it finding your why, right? Yeah. Um, from a personal philosophy point of view, I think my early uh, onset in my career in tech lended itself towards my proclivity to want to put acronyms on everything, right? So just like uh, just like your GSD, I have acronyms for all kinds of stuff that I kind of operate by. My, my operating manual has a lot of acronyms. Um, one of them uh, around, you know, my, my sort of keys to leadership, and I've written about this fairly extensively um, on my LinkedIn profile. There's, there's articles there. Um, uh, if folks ever want to check it out, it's there. But one that I've written about um, has, you know, sort of two uh, iterations. It's, it's the acronym is PEACE, um, P-E-A-C-E. And it's in, in the first instance, when I was thinking about my leadership sort of philosophy back in the day, and this is maybe eight, nine years ago, um, it stood for passion, empowerment, authenticity, celebration, and engagement. And those sort of areas, you know, if we unpack them are really, a lot of them are about um, decisions that you make as a leader and how you want to project your style to organizations that you're either a part of or that you're responsible for. I think that truly showing your passion for something is incredibly important because people are attracted to people who are passionate. So long as that passion doesn't become maniacal, right? Um, and controlling. And that leads to my, my, my second part of that acronym, which is the empowerment piece, you know, giving the ability for your teams uh, to make decisions, um, giving them the resources they require to, to execute against those things, 
um, is, is a great hallmark of a great leader, you know, not creating a cult of personality based on passion, but showing people what great should look like and then giving them the opportunity to, to live that value. And that comes to the, the A, which is the authenticity. Mm-hmm. You know, being real is not everybody can do that. Um, you have to have a lot of psychological safety, uh, a lot of self-awareness, a lot of vulnerability, a lot of ability to tell people who you really are and be comfortable with who you really are before you can be perceived as authentic. Mm. But when people see it, they know it, right? So if you're mm. passionate and you can empower people and you can be real, then you can see the incredible potential of the team that you're leading and you can have the next part, which is the C, which is the celebration, right? Because people are going to get stuff done, right? If they're following someone who's passionate, they're empowered to make decisions, they they feel they can bring their, their authentic selves to, to work um, and be the, who they are because you're doing it, you're leading by example, things are going to get done, you're going to be able to celebrate those things. And the end result of all of that is that everyone's engaged, right? And that engagement it, it self-perpetuates, you know, people get really excited. They want to be around this energy. Um, and that's, to me, that's kind of the, you know, the, 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 the first piece. Um, I called it my, my key to leadership was to be a hippie. I think that's how I phrased it back in the day. Um, and I was a hippie when I was a kid. Like I, when I left university, my first two years, I bought a Volkswagen, uh, I think they call it a combi. I, mean, I just call it a Volkswagen, but I got a combi and I followed the Grateful Dead across the United States. Um, like the, the camper van. Yeah, it was a camper van. Exactly right. I've got pictures of it, man. It was a trip. Um, what color was metaphorically it? Metaphorically and, re- and realistically, it was a total trip. And, you know, I, of course, I, I worked along the way and I did carpentry and I did construction work and I did worked on a farm as a farmhand and I followed this band around wherever they were. And sometimes I would, they would keep going and I would stop and work for a bit. But, um, I think, you know, following who you really are and following, um, what makes you happy. You know, I think, you know, Professor Galloway, you know, Professor Prof G, he's got a, uh, Scott Galloway's got a, um, uh, a podcast that a lot okay. of people listen to. Um, okay. he's a professor of, um, marketing, if memory serves me correctly, at, uh, NYU. Okay. And he, you know, he thinks that following your passion is a, is a, a false hope. And there are reasons behind that. And, and I, I don't necessarily differ with that. I think that following something that you really are good at that brings you joy is a great thing to do. Um, passion can be scary, right? It can be a double edged yeah. sword. Um, yeah. I mean, I think, go ahead. When we think, when we think about some of the, the most, uh, prolifically successful people, you know, and, and I, I, I won't name any of the names, but but the ones who we, you know, we think they are close to genius, but they're also very close to schizophrenic or psychotic, right? right? It's, 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 psychosis it's, is a common trait. Like, <laughs> you know, that that exactly what you said, you know, when anything taken to extreme, um, yeah, you know, I think. Correct. I think I think it, it might actually have been the stand-up comedian Eddie Eddie Izzard who yeah. uh, terms it as being as being a, a loop where where you start off being uh, rather unintelligent and you get more intelligent and more clever and very intelligent, super intelligent, super smart, world-beating, world-class genius, and you can very easily tip into being over that and and then lose that smartness because you're ineffective of just working in a daily basis but you can't go the other way you can't go from no no no. it's very rare i I, well how about this i'm not aware of of, of going the other way um yeah and that you you raise a really valuable point and it when when i thought about that first acronym piece 
um, as, as I went through kind of the, the, the latter stages of my career up to where I am today, you know, one of the key elements of, of being an effective leader is to constantly be learning, right? Like you're not done. You achieve a certain position or a certain role that's, you're not done. That's just one step on the journey, right? For sure. And that- I think being, you know, Satya Nadala calls it being a learn it all, right? Not a know it all. So constantly be reading, constantly be curious and learning, et cetera. Yeah. I revisited my, my peace acronym um, and I re I, I didn't rejig it. I kept that core, but I mm-hmm. added some one more portion to it. And you okay. know, the passion part we were just talking about um, the other, the other P that's really important is purpose. You know, I say that passion without purpose is simply enthusiasm, right? Uh, I <laughs> so, like that. I like that uh, a lot. Yes. And, and, and you, you have to have purpose. And, and one of the things that's really exciting about having a purpose and, and having it be that, that that channel for that why is that you you know that birds of a feather flock together right and when folks get attracted to purpose and particularly mm-hmm. you know younger generations of workers now um regardless of culture and i mean to say you know whether you're you know in northeast asia which has a, a stereotype of kind of hierarchical you know command and control leadership um or you're in a, a liberal sort of economy that has you know much more sort of free-for-all stereotypes again mm-hmm. i think what's fascinating and i think particularly exacerbated by the outcome of the height of the pandemic where everyone was ostensibly remote was that everyone went through a similar not the same but a similar tinged experience yeah and so a lot of people started to see and re and reevaluate their relationship with their managers with their work with their leaders with their purpose why are, why do i do what i do right and i think that's really wonderful you know, I think there were a lot of challenges inherent to that experience, yep. but stepping back and really questioning what the purpose is for what you do on a daily basis is a very sure. valuable uh, moment of catharsis, right? For anybody. Yep. Yep. And as a leader, no, think, you have to, yep. you have to be willing to have that conversation. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think, and it continues to be an ongoing theme of the, 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 the definition of work. Um, and you know, that is for people more experienced in their career, looking back and maybe being a bit reflective about how they worked in the past and how they might want to change and younger people early in their career, feeling that this is, this is their, this is all that they know and, and quite normal and, and, and a little bit perhaps confused as to why it was any different, um, in, in the past, um, which is kind of interesting. It is interesting. Uh, I, want, I want to touch on. Um, you know, the, the different phases of your career. So, so you were in very large, uh, organ, well-established organizations, you know, let's call it a, a kind of, um, you know, moving up the, the corporate ladder, um, in, in that sense. And then you, uh, had the opportunity to, to found your own firm. And yeah. if we talk about getting stuff done, what you have to do as a senior manager in a, in a large, well-established organization is entirely different to, to what you have to do when it's your own firm. Can, can you tell us a little bit about that and the challenges that you had uh, kind of converting uh, or, or evolving into that? Yeah, look, I, I, I alluded to it a moment ago around sort of being um, open to change. And, you know, change ain't easy, as we all know. You have to be willing to kind of, we mentioned learning, learning it all, always be willing to learn. But it's also the corollary is also true, right? Being willing to unlearn uh, and open to new ways of doing things. And I left Intel and actually rolled up everything I owned and moved back to China, to Shanghai. And I opened a jazz club there 
uh, in 2001, which was completely insane, right? Like I quit my corporate career at Intel after seven years uh, as a pretty young man. And seven years as a young man is like 70 years, right? <laughs> so, so the jazz I, club, the jazz club was not what you did, uh, you know, as your side hustle, as your passion no, man, project. I, that, I, I went all in. All you know? in. You were yeah, all in. I went all in. I was, I decided that I was not going to work for the man. You know, I was going to, I went back to my hippie roots and I was like, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to be the man. I'm going to take care of people. I'm going to enjoy great music and I'm going to do it okay. in a culture that is about as far away from my roots as possible. So I, I opened up this club on the Bund in Shanghai. Um, and about a year into it, more or less, um, the precursor to COVID-19, which was called SARS, right. um, hit China particularly right. hard. Yeah. Um, and it, you know, folks weren't hanging out in restaurants and bars during the severe acute respiratory syndrome uh, period. So it crushed my business. And I didn't want to lose the space that I had. So I continued to look for work and I got a job at Microsoft. Um, ergo, my work at Microsoft became a means to, of course, become gainfully employed again and get my my own personal life together, mm -hmm. um, but also to pay the rent for the bar because right. I didn't want to lose it. So it did in turn become a side hustle, ultimately. I see. Okay. But there was a period of about a year and a half where uh, if it hadn't been for SARS, maybe maybe I'd be running a club. You know, I don't know. But um, as relates to uh, the business that, that you mentioned in, in the preamble to us coming onto this call, which was uh, an executive search and, and business advisory firm that I founded with a buddy of mine, um, which was called Reed Hamilton. No, uh, no points for creativity on coming up with a double hyphenated uh, professional services term, uh, you know, like, like everybody else, right? Russell Reynolds, Fisher Stewart, Corn Ferry, Egon Zender, like make, keep, keep going. You know, I took my but, little but, name, but not, his middle name, but not RDI, but not RDI. Not RDI. No, but Hey, you know, present company, not inclusive. Right. <laughs> um, but I took my middle name and his middle name and the URL was available. So it seemed venerable and yep. had credibility and we went for it. Um, it was, you know, uh, Gordon, I was, um, I was fighting a, a very significant battle inside at the time uh, at SAP, uh, where I was I was the first vice president for cloud computing at their at the company uh, in in Asia Pacific, and the reason behind that and it might sound crazy to folks who follow SAP today. They had not gone through the iterations of acquisitions that they are um, famous for today, like Success Factors okay. and Confer and all these amazing companies they acquired and, and did a great job of integrating. Um, mm. At that time, it was really nascent. And, and cloud computing was relatively nascent, um, so to speak. And so I was banging my head against the wall, both trying to educate the marketplace around what software as a service and cloud computing was and is, but also mm -hmm. perhaps more frustrating um, and emblematic of the times, not an indictment against SAP's culture, was the fact that I was constantly trying to evangelize internally as well. Um, so I spent probably 80% of my time trying to convince and educate the internal organization around what it was about okay. uh, more so than I was really out, outside educating the market. And what I right. think that's, what, why I think that's interesting and germane to your question is the fact that I was ostensibly operating a startup inside of a large organization. Okay. So the upshot of that, or I guess the, the, the um, additional pro of that kind of an exercise is that I also was able to glean access to the resources that are inherent in a large organization. So it wasn't the same thing, which I quickly learned on multiple occasions, as parachuting with your own parachute, right? Um, 
And so I was already, I had a, a, a predisposition having done the jazz club and having run, let's call it startups inside of an organization to being susceptible to the idea that we could do something unique mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. outside, right? On our sure. own. And so my partner at the time, uh, this gentleman, Jason uh, Reed Wagner, ergo the name Reed Hamilton, mm -hmm. um, decided that, you know, between my experience kind of helping United States, historically European or United States based tech firms expand um, and build teams, as well as his experience in financial services, we could start something really unique. So we we went out and, and, and tried this thing and it it did scale. I mean, we were able to go, you know, upwards of 20 plus um, associates in Singapore and Hong Kong. My curiosity around venture capital and private equity was really where um, I gained a lot of traction. So I, I took my experience in building go-to-market for large companies, I had seen what had worked. I had helped launch Salesforce.com in North Asia. I opened their offices in Hong Kong and China um, before joining SAP. Uh, and then SAP's cloud business, I felt particular um, sort of, I guess, acumen towards being able to do that. And so I was, I targeted PE and VC firms to help them build um, strategy around their go-to-market in their portfolio companies. And then the, the trick was, or I shouldn't say trick because that sounds nefarious, that the added value of that exercise was that once we assessed the veracity of the strategy, it was about, mm -hmm. do you have the right team in place to execute that strategy? Because otherwise it's just PowerPoint. Yeah. And so we got into the headhunting side of it. And that experience, Gordon, quite frankly, building that business um, on top of the teams that I had been fortunate to build and the other businesses I just mentioned really helped me uh, propel my career forward because I realized that it wasn't about me anymore, right? It was all about the talent, all about the team, all about the people. It has very little to do with who you are other than your ability to harness the mindshare and the resources and then move stuff out of the way and let those people shine. That's how you become successful as a leader. Thank you. I, that's, I, I'm sure that uh, everybody listening will, will really be able to get some, some insights out of that. And that leads me perfectly to the next question is that from getting stuff done yourself, essentially, you know, uh, single contributor, individual contributor, high achiever to then leading others where your result is, is the other people's output, the other people's work to then the next level, which is a leader of leaders, where you have to, uh, where your evaluation, your performance is based on the ability of others to get the best out of others, which is another another whole step. Um, yeah. So what is it that's fundamentally different about leading others to leading leaders for you? Look, I think th there's a couple of key elements. Um, one of them is, you know, the it sounds so cliche, but the, the buck does stop with you. So, you know, having um, sort of a personal philosophy of accountability and ownership is really, really important. And and that's not to be confused with some people might take it to the extreme, which is, you know, control. It's not about mm -hmm. control. It's mm -hmm. about giving up control. It's about delegation. It's about, yep. you know, letting people move and realizing the potential uh, in people. My, uh, my dear departed old man, um, who was a uh, ostensibly a career Marine um, in the United States Marine Corps was very um, instructive with me when I was a kid that anybody could be a leader. It was about providing the opportunity for those folks to really tap into their leadership potential mm -hmm. and your uh, ability to, to instruct someone or teach someone how to be a leader. It's, it starts with your own self-awareness, right? And, and trying to be um, 
um, as humble, you know, leading with humility is, is really, really critical. Mm -hmm. I think one of the most key elements to success as a leader of leaders is, and again, this sounds so cliche and I'm like captain obvious, but leadership by example is unbelievably important. Okay. If you don't do yourself what you're asking your teams to do, you aren't expressing true authenticity and you're not going to be able to get the results that you want. You know, are you in the field meeting with customers? Um, are you personally taking classes and showing people that you're willing to be constantly learning? Um, you know, are you working as hard as you're asking your people to work? Uh, you know, are you making decisions? You know, you, you have to be very, very um, focused on that. And, and, I, I was alluding to this and I got sidetracked on my own diatribe, but particularly in a remote environment, open, transparent communication is so important. Constantly yeah. being open and able to communicate. And if something's bad, if something's not what you had hoped it would be, express very clearly what the situation is. And then going back to the, my comment about Intel back in the day, it's that constructive confrontation. It's like, hey, Gordon, you know, when we last met, we talked about this desired outcome, this goal that we had, and we haven't been able to achieve it. Let's go back and look at this thing together and figure out, was that even the right goal? I mean, what was the outcome we were actually trying to get to? And let's figure out if we agree to that, like, let's figure out how we can do it together, you know? And if yep. the team's yep. having challenges, like roll up your sleeves, get involved and own it, you know? I, I fully agree. And, you know, this is actually a, a theme which comes up a lot uh, with my clients when we're talking about leadership roles, um, e executive level, even, even you know, team leader uh, positions. And the company is always seeking for someone who's hands-on and hands-on in the sense of like exactly like you said, not controlling and doing it all, like otherwise not everything is going to get done. Um, you know, because no no one person can 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 do it all. But Certainly. but still very much being, you know, at, at you know, on the front line, aware of what the reality is. Um, you know, and, and maybe that's why I love that series, what is it called? Undercover CEO. Um, yeah, I love that too, man. It's such a great show. You know, <laughs> Because, because you just see the CEO themselves often going through a journey of realizing what it's really like for their for their frontline 100%. staff. Where, it's so important. You know, man. Clearly, for you know years up in corporate in in the HQ, which which might be um, not only geographically distant, but but literally, um, you know, situationally entirely different. Um, I, I, that totally can, be, can, be, can be really powerful. Okay, I, I want to now go from the the very high level uh, that that we've been at now down to the very the very practical and, and the day to day. Um, I want to hear a little bit about what a, a typical day. Uh, for you looks like, uh, um, you know, maybe share some of the, the things which you consider to be important uh, within within your day to get done. Look, um, my anyone who follows me on LinkedIn will know that I have almost like a, an obsessive compulsive disorder with posting things that I find interesting. Um, and and the uh, sort of the, the upstream of that um, outcome. Uh, and the reason that I do that is that I'm trying to show the organization that I'm a part of or the people that are within my network or the folks that I'm directly responsible for that I'm out there listening to what's going on uh, across a, a, a huge, you know, vast ocean of areas that I'm interested in or areas that are germane or relevant to the business that I'm in. Um, and, and the reason I say that is because um, it goes back to, to, to that 
that adage that I, I uh, uh, attributed to Satya Nadala, right? Being, being alert at all. Every morning when I wake up, the very first thing I do, um, first of all, I, I, I have a moment, you know, where I, I kind of think about my day and you know, people call that, you know, whatever they call it, right? Like awareness or presence or, you know, there's a whole litany of ways people sort of articulate that. Mm-hmm. I just call it a moment of like contemplation, you know, like I've just come out of a deep sleep. What's up? You know, how, how am I feeling? How am I doing? You know, um, so I kind of get my, my, my stuff together as it were so that I can get yep. stuff done. Um, mm-hmm. post that and some stretching because I'm getting older. Um, I, uh, I start reading and there are a numerous amount of sources that I go to first thing in the morning. What I don't do is check my email. Um, I don't check my email. I don't look at my Slack. I don't look at my texts or whatever. First thing I do is I read. I read what's happened in the world. I read some particular uh, sorts of feeds that I'm that I'm interested in, and I kind of get a, an assessment of what the day is looking like from that point of view, or what things are, are interesting to me. And those might be little things that maybe they inspire me for a moment. You know, um, once I kind of gather those things, I then post some of the things that I found particularly interesting. If for no other reason than selfishly, I go back and refer to them during the course of the day. Um, and then oddly, I'm still one of these weird dudes who writes stuff down in a planner. Um, so I do prioritize my day, uh, you know, and, and, and kind of put down the things that I want to do. That goes back to that Franklin Covey day planner crap that got implanted into my deep psyche when I was younger uh, in my mm-hmm. career. Um, and then I, you know, start my day. I check my email. I go through my, my plans for the day and I start to go through my meetings and, and reach out to people. Um, that's kind of the career side. I will say that after I've gotten up and I've read, um, and I've started to post some things and I make my coffee, the very next thing that I do is I put some jazz on the radio and I go wake up my kids and I get them ready for school and I make their breakfast and send them out the door. I'm very blessed and very fortunate that I'm in a job that is 100% remote. And so, uh, by design, I, I work from home. That's not to say that that's better or worse than anyone else's job. Um, it's a personal decision around how I'm productive. And I am very uh, filled, filled with a great deal of gratitude that I'm able to spend an inordinate amount of time with my children and my wife. Whereas historically in my career, as I was going up that ladder, you know, I traveled every single week, you know, 52 weeks a year. Um, I think probably the first six to eight years of my kids' lives, I was not present. I was, I was on an airplane and I was in a hotel room or I was in a boardroom and those are hard yards and everyone's got to kind of go through their own journey. Not not saying that my my journey was any harder or worse than anybody else's, but for me, the pain of not being around my kids particularly um, has informed the direction that I've taken my career as it is today, which is one wherein I own my time Mm -hmm. and what I've learned um, through these brief 50 years on planet earth is that time is the ultimate time is, is, is the ultimate, uh, sort of value. Right. Um, no, and, and how you spend it is, uh, indicative of who you are as a person. A, a considerable amount of time out there traveling always, you know, in the office or, or, or out and about wherever that might be. And now a fully remote, uh, primarily home-based working environment. How is that for you? And and is there anything that you've done to ensure that you can uh, be as productive as you as you want to be? Yeah. Look, I that that um, sort of culture of accountability 
um, is a really critical aspect, you know, doing what you say you're going to do. Um, the, there's a, a methodology, I think, that's gotten a lot of uh, traction um, in, in the startup community, certainly, and certainly now, I think, in larger corporations as well, called OKRs, right? Objectives and Key Results. Right. And beyond the more mainstream aspect of management uh, by objective, right, the MBO structure, now those OKRs, I think whatever you want to, however you want to frame it, um, again, that leadership by example scenario, which is to say, I know that I'm responsible for some outcomes. Mm-hmm. And as long as I'm not, and not by any means necessary, right? Not, not, you know, the ends justify the means per se, because there has to be a lot of integrity and honesty and, you know, forthrightness and communication, all those different things that we, we mentioned earlier, values. But if I'm able to deliver on the experience that is required to ensure that my team is well looked after, has the psychological safety and the environment and the resources they require to get their jobs done, i.e., to deliver results that are commiserate with their position, then I'm doing the right thing. If that means that I have to get everybody together for the purposes of building morale or mm-hmm. because some one-on-one time is going to add value to th- this person's experience and mine, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. then that's what I need to do. Um, I will say, you know, at the risk of, of kind of um, going against what I just shared, that I do think there's a hell of a lot of value in balance. And that is to say that there's just as much power in getting folks together and being present with one another physically as there is in your ability to, um, you know, deftly um, remotely manage people with a plum, right? I mean, there's mm-hmm. there's mm-hmm. a so, huge amount of impact in, in, in physical um, proximity. So it's about finding balance, man. I mean, I think as much as it is about, I mentioned earlier, um, how you value your time and how you spend it. It's also very important to constantly strive for balance in your life. Mm-hmm. And that means not being extreme in, in one degree or the other. Yeah. I, I mean, in that aspect, I, I must say I do really still struggle with is balance um, compartmentalization or is it yeah. integration? Yep. Because that's a great for way to me, look at it. For me, like if I compartmentalize, aka get to the office by a certain time and you know make yeah. a schedule and and stick to that i i'm very um aware of what i've got to get done in a certain time and you know i work towards a deadline at the same time integrating in the sense of um, more naturally being flexible with with where i'm working and and the the schedule um and you know realizing that things I have to do, you know, like I don't have to have a team meeting at 9am on a Monday morning, just because it's the first moment of the working week. If, if actually that's a a very important time for my kids or, or for my team members that, so they can't be part of that. So I'm, I'm, but I'm, I'm still really struggling with, with that in terms of what's um, ultimately best. Um, and, And maybe it's not always one way. You know, maybe at certain times it's it's one way, and certain times it's 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 the other way. Um, yeah, man. I look the the yin of balance uh, reflects the yang of flexibility. So we live in a volatile and uncertain world, constantly being disrupted. So the very idea that you are confronted by that friction is reflective of the fact that you're actually finding balance, right? Because you know it can't be one way or the other. Like you can't be peace, love, and harmony on a daily basis, because that's not what life is. And you can't be 
regimental and ultra orthodox every day, because that's not what life is. It's about how do we in the moment provide the right experience, the right model to maximize that moment to full potential for everyone who's yeah. involved in that moment. And maybe yeah. that's your point. Like if 9 a.m. is for your kids and your wife and, you know, uh, your, your, your coffee or, or, or whatever, whatever it is, that's important. And, and I will say this too. I think being a, um, being a leader who knows that sometimes you, you need to sacrifice for others is important, but being a leader who also knows that you have to take care of yourself is really important. Because again, if you're not taking care of yourself, you're not showing others that it's okay for them to take care of themselves and you're running into a spiral of you know, diminishing returns very, very quickly. You, you know what one of my colleagues asked me uh, this week? It was uh, uh, my, my birthday's in the, the last week of December. And so we were talking about right what, what I got for my birthday. And she asked, oh, what did you get for yourself? And I said, mm, nothing. And she said, oh, I always make sure on my birthday that I get something for myself. And I actually think that like that really resonated with me. Like, actually, um, you know, what is it? You know, people can have the best intentions of what they buy for you for your birthday. And they might buy what you ask, but often presents are you, you don't choose them. And and so I thought that's really interesting kind of concept, because sometimes especially as parents, we, we are just giving uh, uh, all that we can. And sure. self-care is, is important. And, and uh, life is long. And we've got to do this sustainably, whether that's parenting or work, um, or whatever it might be. And so I think that's, that is um, a really good, a really good takeaway. It, it caught me off guard, because I, I hadn't thought about it and actually thought yeah actually perhaps i should do something uh you, you know you it's absolutely should yeah yeah it, it, you, it's you, that take, take that note and remember it mate um yeah it took me a long time to to learn that lesson myself i did it this year because i it well, last year i turned 50 and on on my actual birthday itself i took off and went into the bush here in australia for a seven day uh sort of camping and detox kind of trip um, okay. by myself. And my wife was like, wow, you know, you're, you're leaving me and the kids on your 50th birthday and spending seven days, you know, away in the bush. And I said, yeah, I, I need it, you know, and this yeah. is how I'm going yeah. to remember my 50th, not by going out on a, on a lashing bender or a boy's weekend or whatever. I went off on my own and it was pretty awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah, you should there, give yourself is, a gift. I, well, also, there is another um, uh, Japanese uh, methodology, which is one at least one time per year do something which is uh, life changing. So, at it. least once a year, do something which is really far out of your comfort zone. Right? It's a bit different to giving yourself uh, what you want, treating yourself. But, but I also sure. like fully. Um, you know, fully uh, agree to that. I think it's so easy to to just keep your head down, keep going, keep uh, you know, uh, you know, striving, and and you know, but then you lose sight of of the the bigger picture. So I also think that's uh, a good thing. I mean, New Year's resolutions are, are nice and all, but but you know, yeah. um, at a level above that, right? I think you're right. I think pushing yourself out of your comfort zone. You know, there's a um, my my family, which is a, a, a historically a Scottish family, 
the Ferguson family has their 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 motto, right? Uh, it, in Latin, it's "Dolcios ex aspiris," which means "sweeter after difficulty." And I feel very passionately that you know, some of the best things in life come from adversity, you know, um, uh, through through difficult situations or, or putting yourself into an uncomfortable situation. Some of the best things that can possibly happen in your life or in your in your mm. in your mental evolution come from that. And sure. I totally agree with what you just said. I think that's incredibly valuable. Leadership and learning are indispensable to one another. That's a quote from John F. Kennedy. Um, so yeah, there you go. I think on that note, um, it's a, it's a fantastic uh, place to pause. Um, I wish we could we could talk more, but um, I think we've covered a lot. I hope that everybody listening, if this is the first episode that you've you've come across, I hope you enjoyed it. I hope that uh, it will. Um, inspire you to go and check out the, the previous episodes um, that we've been putting out. I will continue to endeavor to bring uh, fantastic guests, uh, just like Charles, who uh, I've had the pleasure of talking with today about such a wide range of topics. I, I really hope that people can um, have some takeaways um, into their own uh, lives sure. and uh, careers, especially at this uh, you know start of the year when it's uh, a great time to to look at you know a bit more long term about about what we're doing. So, Charles, thanks so much uh, for sharing uh, all of your insights today. Absolute pleasure, my friend. It's always great to meet with you. And uh, yeah, let's let's stay in touch. See see how we go. All right. So uh, I'm going to wrap it up there. And thank you everybody for uh, listening or watching this episode. If you uh, would like to keep in touch and up to date with the weekly episodes as they come out, please do hit subscribe so that you will get them automatically coming to you on whatever platform uh, you are listening to the or watching the Get Stuff Done podcast. Uh, once again, thank you for all your support and look forward to seeing you again in the next episode. Take care. Thank you for listening to the Get Stuff Done podcast. If you would like to be a guest in the future, please do reach out. Or if you would like to recommend someone, that would be awesome as well. Make sure you keep listening as we will be bringing you fresh insights every week because getting stuff done is something everyone needs.